How do you know when something is the real thing, the real deal, the genuine article? How do you know um, when it's your bank on the other side of the phone and not someone trying to scam you? Um, of equal importance, how do you know when you're eating a McVitie's chocolate biscuit and not your kind of supermarket knockoff? Very important. Um, it's always the supermarket knockoff in our house. Um, or how do you know that the £10 note in your pocket is a genuine tenor and not a counterfeit? It's an important question. Chat to the person sitting next to you. How do you know when a tenor is a tenor? You've got 20 seconds. Okay, um, would anyone like to volunteer any um, help at this, at this point? Hands up, how do you know when a tenor's a tenor? Sean? Yeah, good, so we need, we need to know it's real, don't we? And any telltale signs? Any confirmations, Jonathan? So, uh, sorry, Fraser, I said Jonathan. <laughs> so, <go. laughs> yeah. Wow. So if you run a permanent marker over it, if it changes colour, it's fake. Um, there you go. I never realised. Thank you very much. Anyone else? Toby? Brilliant. So holograms and, you know, all that stuff. Well, here's, here's three things. Um, there's a particular feel, isn't there, to a £10 note that's quite hard to counterfeit. Um, there's bits that are quite rough. There's bits that are smooth. Um, as well as that, there's a feather that changes colour depending on the light. So it can either be orange or purple. And also, under ultraviolet light, a secret number 10 appears, apparently. I've never done this. Um, but that's another um, little confirmation that the tenor you've got in your pocket is, in fact, a real tenor. Um, well, this morning, we are looking together at the transfiguration. Um, it's a bit like Ian has come as a visual aid. Stand up, Ian. <laughs> there you go. Run for three. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. Thanks for that. Um, now, um, the transfiguration uh, in Matthew's Gospel is when Jesus is changed, he's transformed. That's what the word transfiguration means. Um, but the point of the transfiguration is that it's a great big confirmation, validation, vindication of who Jesus is. That Jesus is the real thing, the real deal, the genuine article Last week, uh, we were thinking about how we all need a bigger vision of Jesus, about how Jesus is the last ruler, the great king, the Messiah, the chosen one, the son of God. And we saw how the penny had finally dropped for Peter. So chapter 16, verse 16, have a little look at that. And um, Peter says to Jesus, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
But then Jesus went on to say something that sounded very strange to Peter. Chapter 16, verse 21. Uh, Jesus explained that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. So Jesus is saying that he is the suffering first, then glory Messiah. And he also said that this would be the pattern for all those who follow him, suffering then glory. Well, it's no coincidence that right after this episode, we get the transfiguration. The disciples are kind of wrestling with the kind of Messiah that Jesus says he is, and no doubt the challenges involved, apparently, um, in following him. The transfiguration, it's a great big confirmation that Jesus is indeed the Messiah they have been waiting for. Even if some of the things he says might sound strange unusual, surprising, and hard. And we're going to see three confirmations of Jesus' identity in chapter 17, verses 1 to 13. And here's the first confirmation. It's the transfiguration itself, verses 1 to 3. Have a look at verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So it's not long since Peter has confessed that Jesus is the Messiah. It's only six days. And now Jesus takes um, his small inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John. He takes them up a mountain. And notice how Peter is present. And he's just been struggling to accept the kind of suffering Messiah Jesus says he is. And so perhaps Peter, more than anyone else, needs what Jesus is about to reveal. Have a look at verse 2. Then he, that's Jesus, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Here is an extraordinary glimpse behind the scenes. Jesus is transfigured That means transformed, changed. Um, It's like Jesus' veil is removed and we're given a glimpse of both the pre-incarnate glorious Son of God. So, you know, here is something of the glory that Jesus enjoyed before he took on flesh and dwelt among us. A glimpse of Jesus' past glory, if you like, but also a glimpse of the glory that Jesus enjoys today. As the crucified, risen, and ascended Son of God, and the glory he will enjoy in the future when he comes back. Uh, Chapter 16, verse 27. He'll come back in his Father's glory with the angels. And so we have a dazzling glimpse here of Jesus' true, bright, and brilliant glory, past, present, and future. And notice that this revelation is all for the disciples benefit verse 2 he is transfigured before them this is something for them to see to take in something to give them confidence that this is the messiah Um, his glory is ordinarily veiled in his ministry amongst them and his mission involves suffering but nevertheless he is the messiah he's the real deal the genuine article the glorious one they had been waiting for. We'll have a look at verse 3, at who else is present, and we've already thought about this a little bit, haven't we, with 
with James when the kids were in earlier. Verse 3, who's there? Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So we have Moses here representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets appearing with Jesus as if to say, you know, um, Jesus stands in continuity with us. We stand in solidarity with him. Um, Jesus' talk of suffering, it might sound strange and surprising and hard, but there's an Old Testament endorsement here of who Jesus is. But there's more than simply just an endorsement. We're also supposed to see the all-surpassing greatness of Jesus here, even amongst such kind of lauded Old Testament A-listers like Moses and Elijah. Uh, Look at verse 3, at how they're not talking with each other. Rather, Moses and Elijah, they're talking with Jesus. He is the focal point. It'd be great to know what they talked about, wouldn't it? Um, We're not told, so we'd just be speculating. Um, Be nice to know. But not only is Jesus the focal point, um, Moses and Elijah, they also had their own um, mountaintop experiences in the Old Testament. So we can look at passages like Exodus 34 for Moses um, or 1 Kings 19 for Elijah. The face of Moses even shone in Exodus 34, reflecting something of God's glory. But here we're supposed to see that Jesus is in a whole different category to Moses because Jesus doesn't reflect, verse 2. Jesus is transfigured, he's transformed, he's changed. So his face shone like the sun and his uh, clothes become as white as the light because his face is actually producing the light. It's radiating the glory, not reflecting it. Uh, Jesus is the all-surpassing great one. Well, just before we um, move on, it's worth pausing at this point um, just to marvel together at Jesus, the glorious one. Um, We'll be taking the bread and the wine a little bit later on. As we share communion together, let's marvel at the one who gave up the glory that we catch a small glimpse of this morning in the transfiguration. He gave all that up so that he could be Emmanuel, as Matthew describes him, so that he could be God with us, so that he could come and save his people from their sins. Why not uh, meditate on Philippians chapter 2? Perhaps you could do this quietly as we take communion together. Perhaps this week, uh, meditate on Philippians chapter 2, on the one who, though being in very nature God, not reflecting God, but being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. The one who, in the end, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Marvel at the one who gave up such glory and marvel at the one who now stands in such glory and will one day return in glory philippians 2 goes on the one who god has exalted to the highest place and given the name that is above every name 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ, he's the Messiah, is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's marvel at Jesus this morning and put aside some time this week just to marvel at Jesus. Confirmation number one, the transfiguration itself. Confirmation number two, that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, that's the voice from the cloud that, again, we thought about a little bit earlier uh, with James. Have a look at verse four. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Peter's loving it. And who would not be loving it? You know, what a glorious occasion. You know, a wonderful mountaintop experience, like literally. And to be there with such kind of stellar Old Testament A-listers like Elijah and Moses. Now, I, um, I was once invited to the Oswestry Civic Dinner. I don't like to show off about it publicly or mention it publicly. Um, but without wanting to offend Oswestry's finest dignitaries, um, of which I, have, of course, am one. <laughs> Not quite sure how I got an invite, but there you go. But without wanting to offend Oswestry's dignitaries, this is a bit more glorious, isn't it? To be present with Jesus, to be invited to this gathering with Moses and Elijah, and Peter's loving it, and he's keen to prolong this glorious moment. Um, He hospitably offers to build some shelters, doesn't he? Verse 4, Jesus, if you wish, I will put up three shelters One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But, verse 5, whilst he was speaking, a bright cloud covered them. Um, Peter's not going to be building anyone any shelters. If anyone provides a covering, it's God, isn't it? A bright cloud covers the small party of people at the top of the mountain. Um, This cloud reminds us of Moses meeting with God on Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. God would come down in the cloud, a symbol of his presence, and he would speak with Moses. And so here we have a cloud, and like Moses in the Old Testament, we also hear God's voice, don't we? Verse 5, a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Listen to him. Well, what the Father says here is is so rich. There is so much to unpack, and we'll be doing a little bit more unpacking this week in home groups just to whet everybody's appetite. Um, But uh, firstly, just just three things to briefly consider. Number one, um, the voice reveals the uniqueness of the Son. The voice says, this is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Here is a ringing endorsement from the Father himself of Jesus' uniqueness and supremacy over everyone else. And Moses and Elijah, they are great, but neither of them is the Son. Only Jesus is. Secondly, the voice from the cloud affirms that Jesus is the ultimate prophet because God the Father says, listen to him. Moses and Elijah, they are kind of like heavyweight Old Testament prophets. But in the end, 
They are both forerunners of an even greater prophet. Um, For example, here's some words from Moses uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'll put uh, on the screen here. Um, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from uh, your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. It's a bit like God the Father's echoing those three words from Deuteronomy 18 when he says, listen to him, listen to Jesus. He's the ultimate prophet who Moses prophesied would come. But there's one last thing that this voice from heaven um, affirms for us to think about this morning, and that is um, Jesus is also the unusual Messiah. You see, what is it in context that Jesus has just been saying that must be listened to? Well, in last week's passage, Jesus has just been commending Peter for recognising that he's the Messiah, explaining that he's the suffering now, glory later Messiah, and explaining that everyone who follows him follows along this same path of suffering first and then glory That's what Jesus has just been saying. And so when God says, listen to him, in context, it means, listen to Jesus about who he says he is. Listen to what Jesus says it means to follow him. That's what you need to listen to, even if it sounds a bit strange, unusual, not what Peter was expecting. It's exactly the same as what the voice from heaven says at Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3. Um, Here it is up on the screen. It's just copy and paste. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Only this time in Matthew 17, there's those three additional words. So they must be important. Listen to him. Well, again, it's worth pausing here, isn't it? We need to take these Three simple words to heart, don't we? Marvel at Jesus, yes, but we also need to listen to Jesus. Uh, Perhaps in particular, we need to be reminded to listen to Jesus when, like Peter, Jesus says something that we're not pleased with. Ever had that experience? Jesus kind of saying something that grates with you? You know, suffering? What, Jesus? Do you you have to talk about suffering? Or self-denial? You know, um, Jesus, are you really saying that self-denial isn't just for you, but it's for me as well? Self-denial? Or perhaps other things that Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel um, about what it means to follow him. So, you know, Jesus says earlier, I'm a doctor who's come for ill people. What? What? You saying that I need to accept I've got a problem, Jesus? Or when Jesus says stuff like, um, love your enemies. Or pray for those who persecute you. Or the meek will inherit the earth. What? Meek? That's not going to get me anywhere. Never, Lord. Well, that's exactly what Peter said, isn't it, to Jesus in chapter 16, verse 22. And maybe Jesus is saying something to you at the moment in your quiet times, at home group, 
Um, in your one-to-one Bible time that we've just been thinking about a little bit this morning with the guys who were interviewed. Uh, Maybe Jesus is saying something um, to you as we've been going through Matthew, uh, and it's something that's really grating, actually, and makes you not pleased. Well, what does our Heavenly Father say to us at such times? Well, our Heavenly Father says to us, look, You might not be pleased with Jesus right now, but he's my son. I'm really pleased with him. You need to listen to him. We'll have a look at verse 6. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified, When you get clouds and mountains in the Old Testament and God speaking, there's a really great danger of death. So in the book of Exodus, they have to put barriers around the bottom of Mount Sinai to stop people going up and dying. Um, And here we have the disciples at the top of the mountain in the cloud, symbolizing God's presence, hearing God's voice, and they fall to the ground terrified. It's a bit like, right, that's it, boys, we're going to die. But, look at verse 7. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Instead of death, they're invited not to be afraid. And they're given another glimpse of Jesus' supremacy, aren't they? Because there's only Jesus left. Moses, Elijah, the forerunners, the support acts, they are gone Their job is done. Only Jesus, the suffering, then glory Messiah, is left. And only Jesus, not Moses and Elijah at the end of the day, only Jesus can alleviate fear in the face of death. Well, just before we move on, here's three more words of Jesus's that we need to listen to when we come face to face with death. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Um, He says this on numerous occasions in death situations in Matthew's gospel. So when the, the disciples are on the boats, in the storms, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Or, you know, why are you afraid? And when Jesus is raised to life again, conquering death, the first thing he says to his disciples is, greetings. But then he says, don't be afraid. I was chatting to some parents uh, recently and they told me that um, they see their role as parents as being firstly about teaching their kids to live well and secondly about teaching their kids to die well. And all they meant by that was that if Jesus doesn't come back first and so they need to pass through death one day in order to see Jesus in his supremacy. They want their kids to see them approaching death, listening to Jesus' words, listening to the one who has conquered death at the ultimate vindication of his identity, the resurrection. They want their kids to see them listening to Jesus when he says in the face of death, don't be afraid. Well, those are uh, three 
important words for us to listen to Jesus, aren't they? Well, finally and very briefly, there's one more final confirmation that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, as well as the transfiguration, as well as the voice from heaven. Um, Jesus also makes it clear that Elijah had come. Elijah had come. Look at verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So Jesus wants to keep a lid on the transfiguration for now. Perhaps he's trying to avoid any stoking of a kind of a wrong, triumphalistic understanding of the Messiah. Um, The disciples are told to keep quiet until after the resurrection has happened, because at that point it's going to be impossible um, not to accept the suffering of the Messiah, isn't it? Because once Jesus has been raised to life again, he's already been to the cross. Well, have a look at verse 10. The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? It seems like um, the disciples are a little bit confused Um, The expectation was uh, that Elijah would come first and then the Messiah would come. And they've seen Elijah fleetingly at the top of the mountain, haven't they? But, you know, is that it? I think they're expecting um, a little bit more from Elijah. Um, They were expecting a glorious, comprehensive work of restoration. Um, But um, with Jesus talking to them again about his resurrection, that means he's applying once again that he's going to die. Death? That doesn't um, sound much like restoration, does it? So has Elijah come or not? Well, have a look at verse 11. Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things, but I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. And so I think think Jesus is saying two things here. On the one hand, he's saying, look, Elijah has come, not primarily through this brief appearance at the top of the mountain, but he's come in the person of John the Baptist. And the teachers of the law, their timetable is correct. Elijah does come first, and he has come, Jesus is saying. But I think Jesus is also saying to his disciples here that the restoration that they long for comes through suffering. John the Baptist, um, or Elijah, he preached repentance, or restoration, preparing the way for Jesus, but people didn't uh, recognize him. They did to him everything they, they wished. And in the end, we've seen in Matthew how uh, John was beheaded, wasn't he? Well, just as uh, suffering was the pattern for John in his role in bringing restoration, so it would be the pattern for the Messiah in his role too. Verse 12, Jesus says, in the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. So what we have here is another big confirmation of who Jesus is. Jesus is saying, look, the messianic timetable, if you like, is playing out in front of everybody's eyes. Elijah, the forerunner, has come. Jesus himself is the Messiah. But all of this is taking place in a way that people didn't expect. The restoration is coming 
through suffering. Well, here's one final take home for us. Marvel at Jesus, listen to Jesus. But let's also be people who trust Jesus. The suffering first, glory later, Messiah. Um, It's great, isn't it, when you know the tenor in your pocket really is a tenor. Or it's great when you know you're confident that you're talking to the bank and not some kind of scam merchant. Well, the purpose of the transfiguration is to provide confidence that Jesus is the real deal, the Messiah. And like Peter, James and John, we sometimes in life might have mountaintop experiences, kind of moments of new clarity when Jesus reveals something wonderful to us about who he is. You know, perhaps for some of us, that might be our our testimony. For some of us, the way uh, we became a a Christian, maybe Jesus made something really clear to you about who he was. That was a brilliant moment. Um, Or it might be kind of being on that Christian camp or, you know, being involved with Holiday Club um, or a conference or maybe just meeting with other believers at church. You know, we, we can praise God for kind of wonderful, glorious moments But let's also remember that Jesus is just as much the real deal, even when we come down the mountain, even when the path feels much more like suffering than glory. Next week, we're going to see it's right back down to earth with a bang for the disciples. Um, The next passage, straight back into spiritual battle, making mistakes, struggles, frustrations. But in many ways, this is the normal Christian experience for now. Holiday Club gets packed away, doesn't it? There's a little bit left over there. But, you know, it, it, it comes down. Um, or, you know, perhaps it's that sort of Monday morning feeling, you know, in all the messiness of life compared to the highs of Sunday. You know, we have to go back to following Jesus at school or work, don't we? Let's remember... The glorious Messiah hasn't changed. His glory, it might be hidden from us for now, veiled, but the transfiguration and in the end, the resurrection, it gives us confidence that we are following the genuine article, the real deal, the Messiah, whatever life is like. Uh, One day... We're going to enjoy the mountaintop experience with Jesus and all his people in all its fullness and it will never, ever end when the Son of Man uh, comes finally and forever in his Father's glory with the angels. And we won't need to come down the mountain then and it's like, bring it on. But until then, we press on, marvelling at, listening to, and trusting Jesus, the Messiah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this glimpse that we've been gazing on this morning of Jesus in his glory. Father, thank you for those words of assurance that you provided at the top of the mountain about who Jesus is. Father, thank you for the way you sent John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus. Thank you for the way he walked the path that Jesus calls all those who follow him to walk.
And Father, we marvel at Jesus this morning. We praise you that the one who was rich became poor so that we might become rich. And Father, please help us to listen to him even when he says things that we struggle with. Father, please help us to trust him when life doesn't feel like a mountaintop high. And Father, please keep us looking forward to that glorious day when Jesus returns. In his name we pray. Amen.